the Bible reading we're up to is it's Mark 10 now we're in Mark's gospel and it's chapter 10 and this is the first 12 verses Mark 10 then begin, beginning at uh, verse uh, 1 And he arose from thence and cometh into the coasts of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Tempting him. And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put it away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder, put apart. And in the house his disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery. <clears throat> Sorry, whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Okay. So we are on a portion of scripture that's encroaching on this subject of um, divorce remarriage and so on so I'd like to try and give a, a, a scriptural viewpoint taking into account Jesus's words and also introducing other other scriptures to build up a picture so we rejoin Jesus this week uh, and the disciples we join them as they journey south Remember, they're heading towards Jerusalem, where this pivotal, pivotal uh, event in uh, God's salvation would take place. Jesus runs into a crowd, and in that crowd are some Pharisees. Now, we know they are never around to sit and learn at the feet of Jesus. They're out to trap him in some way. And if you remember, they previously tried to cast him in a bad light regarding his views on the Sabbath, on uh, fasting, on hand washing and such things. And now they turn to this difficult issue of divorce. There's no doubt that they're hoping that Jesus will say, 
something contrary either to the Mosaic law or to the law of the land. Now, if the, if Jesus says anything that that they can um, claim to contradict the law of Moses, they will use that uh, as evidence to show he's not a prophet of God. If Jesus says something that contravenes the law of the land, they can just simply go and, you know, grass him up to the authorities to try and get him into trouble. And remember that we're talking here about the the, the how precious marriage is and how we should value it. And the leader, uh, the, the ruler in that country, uh, Herod, was himself infamous for, for his low view of marriage, having taken his brother's wife uh, as his own. So that, that, would, that was a mess. I suppose the Pharisees may have hoped that if he, if he said something that would anger Herod, then then he would deal with Jesus as he dealt with John, uh, and maybe you know t take his uh, take his head off. the The Jewish attitude to marriage was quite variable. So y you had one school, which taught that divorce was only ever allowed if one of the parties had been involved in some kind of sexual immorality. So usually, you know, adultery. There was another uh, view held by the school of uh, a man called, a Jew called Hillel, or Hillel, allowing divorce for almost any reason at all. I mean, a man could, a man could get rid of his wife for just overcooking a meal or even just putting too much salt in it so you know can you can you imagine if everyone got divorced because the wives you know made a mistake with, with some meal or, or other you know I'll get into trouble for saying this but you know there wouldn't be many marriages survived would there I love the way you know I love the way Jesus answers these these uh, little traps set out for him how he answers these uh, questions his opponents put to him you know th this was this was god manifest in the flesh he he had um, he had all this knowledge of the universe uh, at his disposal and jesus chooses to to make his arguments using very simple language the the, the type of speech jesus uses it wouldn't be very impressive to the Greek uh, philosophers of his day that they liked, you know, highbrow conversations and his, too, his methods are just too simple for them. But they are very powerful. Now, after, after considering what uh, Moses taught, Jesus then rewinds back to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis. And he acknowledges that, yes, uh, Moses had made provision for divorce. But he emphasizes this was far from God's ideal. He shows them that marriage was meant to be for life. He upholds its sanctity. So the man leaves the family he grew up with. The woman leaves the family she grew up with. And they, they come together. They, they cleave together. And... They become one. Mystically, they become one. 
God put them together. And those who want to, those who would uh, split them up, do so at their peril. In all the complexities of, of, of our lives, especially, especially modern life, we discover a multitude of situations that we find tough to, to judge on. The Bible was never meant to be a book containing lists of rules that we that we follow now we are to obey God but that's not the same thing because to have a book that covered every conceivable situation that would arise throughout history is just an impossibility so God in his wisdom he lays down these principles and he expects us to exercise wisdom in applying them to our situation. Knowing full well that we will frequently come across situations that are tough to, to make a judgment on. And so we pray. We pray for guidance and we could take into consideration all the counsel of God given in the Bible to, to as I say, to build up a picture. We're given this ideal. We're given this ideal concerning marriage it's between one man and one woman they're to love each other and submit to one another they can enjoy intimacy within the marriage it's the structure through which new members of the human race are brought into being and the two parties are to be faithful to one another and then this partnership is to go on and on until one of them dies Marriage, taking place as it does in this sinful world, is always marred by sin. Even the best ones can go bad. Even uh, Christian marriages are um, uh, have both parties who, who commit uh, sins and, and have uh, failings. But it can go. It can go very bad. It, sometimes uh, couples might stop putting effort into the marriage they they might commit adultery they might be unfaithful there's a multitude of reasons but the sad fact is in our own country almost almost half of all marriages end in divorce almost half so i, w I want to make a few comments about uh, marriage and the world we live in Sorry, I was distracted then because it's, it's, it's snowing heavily outside. So, th this institution of marriage, it's not only to be valued for the benefits it brings to the, the couple themselves. In God's wisdom, this union that God has created is, is a benefit to the whole of society. And throughout history, societies have found the benefits of having uh, strong, um, strong marriages and those uh, re resultant strong families. If you just look at the case of children whose parents are married, they benefit from that stability. And research going back, I think it was from I think it was from the 90s, but research carried out by the Roundtree Foundation showed that. 
children from families that had been reordered, if you like, by separation or divorce, those children were more likely than children from intact families to have encountered health problems, to have needed extra help at school, to have experienced their friendship difficulties and suffer from low self-esteem. So that the marriage unit, as designed by God, benefits the couples themselves, any children they have, and the wider society. Now, in our day, it's become it's become fashionable to distort God's model of marriage, and this isn't only because you know a few mischievous, mischievous individuals who want to experiment with different you know marriage setups that that's part of it, but the attack on the marriage unit has always been, it's all, especially today, is highly organised. I mean, I, I don't want to be distracted with um, talk about political things, but there are several political movements that have, as part of their core um, principles, the undermining of marriage. They blatantly... Uh, say that they want to do away with that nuclear family. In other words, the 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 one setup that has been proven through experience to to be the best setup, they want to take that one and get rid of it, but replace it with what? Replace it with absolutely anything. They don't care what it's replaced with. You know, you can have. 10 husbands and married to six wives in a giant group you can have all sorts of nonsense and it just seems so evil does it not to for them to simply say we'll have anything except that one that that is traditional uh, it's just a, it's an inbuilt hatred of god really so marriage in society, society would be better off if they stuck by um, God's models. And we should also think about marriage spiritually, because, uh, and this really is, this point is really the, the, the most important thing in my message today, uh, more so than practical advice about divorce, remarriage and so on. And you'll have heard me say this before. The union of one man and one woman was designed by God to represent the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. He loved his, God loved his elect people so much. Jesus came to, the, to this earth with the intention of offering up his own self, his own life. As a sacrifice so they so we so I could go free the, the married couple are to take for their example some of those characteristics seen in the heavenly union of Jesus and his people so for example husbands are told to husbands are told to love their wives just as Christ loved the church has any husband ever managed that? Absolutely not. But they, like everyone else, must strive 
for the ideals that God gives us. I've already mentioned an example of how this this heavenly picture can be marred uh, through lack of love or submission. There's also there's also unfaithfulness. There's um, those same-sex partnerships. There's polygamy uh, and others. Imagine for a moment what type of image these confused setups show. What do they portray? What's meant to emulate the relationship between Jesus and his bride instead portrays something unpleasant. If a husband fails to love his wife, he's acting like a saviour who has no real love for his church. If a wife tries to be the dominant voice in the marriage, she's acting like a church that rails against God. So all these behaviours, they, they, they violate God's design and God's picture. And respecting, respecting that uh, God has created different roles within the marriage, it also has a bearing on the setup of the church as well. God, I believe, expects us to see to it that we maintain different roles for men and women in the church. Now look, Christian women, you don't have to go out and fight for equality. Forget about this world, you already have equality. In the most important sense that there is, you have equality. God's love for you is equal to that of his children who are male. But the roles, that the roles that, that women take on must maintain the distinction, not blur the distinction between men and women. And it's for that reason that uh, our own church and most of the churches in, uh, in, in the circles, in our Christian circles, most would insist that pastors and teachers and other elders are male we looked at what marriage is it, its benefits uh, for society and we've considered it most importantly as a picture of Christ and his church and now I want to look at some of those difficulties I mentioned before let's just be honest here Jesus lays down a rule that seems pretty black and white. Divorce and remarriage are sinful. Brethren who, who find it difficult, there, there are brethren, who find it difficult to function without clear rules. They, they, they like to extract verses like this from the scriptures, hold them up and use them as justification for the, the hard line that they take, the, the black and white position they take on, on some, something. And, and I suppose, I suppose we all do this. I suppose we all do this with, with different issues. And to be fair, I think, I think, I think we and them, we, we, we do it out of a desire to obey God, I, I, I am sure. We, we assume that's the case. 
Now, with, with any with any portion of scripture, we need to we need to consider the context it's found in. What was the cultural setting? Who was the audience being spoken to? Were there any special circumstances at that time that demanded unique teaching? Sometimes the context makes no difference at all. Uh, sometimes it does. An example for you. An example would be Jesus telling his hearers they should always pray in secret. They should always go behind locked doors and and pray privately. So does, does that mean we can't then have prayer meetings? No, no. There was a particular sin among the people of his day and he told them what they needed to hear. Now, in our society, it's it's the opposite. I wouldn't <laughs> public shows of my faith, you know, in the middle of town, are despised and ridiculed, and they would try to shut me down. They they detest, uh, <laughs> they detest it, and so, you know, I have a feeling that if Jesus was addressing the church in our society today. He'd say he'd be saying to himself, "There's a problem with with these people that that they're too shy, they're too ashamed of their religion." So he might preach to us, "When you pray, meet outside. When you <laughs> in front of everyone, he, he might say the complete opposite." You see, do you see my point? But also, we need to view other verses in Scripture because because they could they could shed light on the one that we're looking at. It looks here. Doesn't it? It looks here as if there are no exceptions to Jesus' rule. Divorce is never okay. But if we take a look at Jesus' words recorded in Matthew's Gospel, we see at least one exception. We see one exception. Matthew 19 and verse 9 says, And I say unto you, whoever sh whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. So, if one party in a marriage has been unfaithful, this is grounds for divorce. As an aside, I should point out that um, unfaithfulness does not require a divorce. Someone might desire so, someone might decide to to just uh, forgive their unfaithful spouse and stay with them. It's happened, and marriages have survived for decades uh, after an act of unfaithfulness. So it's not necessarily the end. Well, also in in, in, Matt, in Matthew's uh, gospel, we read about Mary's husband Joseph. Do you remember him saying? Uh, do you remember it says this about him? Then Joseph, Matthew 1 verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her, Mary, away. That's divorce her, privily, secretly. Divorce. And it's because he was a just, because he was a good man, and didn't want to embarrass his wife, that he started planning their divorce. 
It's interesting. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we read we read something interesting, which which is uh, found in the sixth chapter, First Corinthians, verse sixteen. Well, know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot, a prostitute, is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. So why this is important is when when an unmarried man sleeps with a prostitute or any woman, he is unwittingly declaring to God, this woman is now his wife. Now, of course, he doesn't think that, but th- this is what his actions uh, are declaring. Now, many a Christian man has been involved in sexual immorality before they were saved. But say one one of these guys found then a good, uh, they were saved and they found themselves a, a, a a nice, a nice girl, and they got married, and he's found himself this lovely Christian wife. And so, if we if we took Jesus's words today at a, in their strictest sense at face value, when that man walks away from the prostitute and joins himself in marriage to this Christian girl, he was committing, he'd be committing adultery. But does anyone does anyone believe? That God views his Christian marriage as a sinful act. No. Yet he's walked away from one woman who the scriptures say he was joined to. He, they, they'd become one flesh. And he separated, he divorced, if you like, the prostitute and remarried. And yet we believe quite rightly that God blesses such a new union. So Jesus' declaration has more to it than first appears. I I I noticed, by the way, that uh, commentators have have uh, looked at, um, you know, whether this rendering of Jesus' words is is the is the best. Now, um, the the Bible is completely reliable as we have it in our own language, but there are definitely um, certain nuances in in the old the ancient languages that are difficult to to uh, move across to to English, and sometimes we we, we do. Um, you know, sometimes we lose a little bit in the in the translation. Uh, nothing significant theologically, but um, when when I when I when I read this passage, uh, I I wondered whether it meant uh, if you you know if you have your eyes on another person and you think right, I'm gonna I'm gonna divorce my wife and run off with this one. Uh, you know, it, it it's um it's an act of adultery. And others have tried to re- rephrase what he says, but there's no need for us to. There's no need for us really to rephrase it. It's just that uh, what Jesus said was applicable to those people at that time. But we're now beginning to show uh, a bigger picture. Okay, so I just want to. I just want to make it clear here that what we're doing today is not rooting through the scriptures trying to find some reasons to justify people getting divorced and remarried. I want to portray marriage as a sacred bond, just like Jesus did. But the serious Bible student has to be prepared to put time and effort into his search for truth. He can't be satisfied with simplistic understandings. We often find... uh, 
we often find it situations in life we have to deal with that are very problematic and often pastors face situations where it's difficult to apply scripture because sometimes there is more than one scriptural principle that applies and they can conflict with each other now we are not talking about scripture contradicting itself now we're talking about God expecting us to make judgments mature judgments now the best way I can describe this is to make uh, my point by examples now several weeks ago uh, there was an incident involving the Pharisees now they criticized Jesus's followers for breaking Sabbath rules you remember and the disciples were eating were picking their corn to eat Jesus pointed to an event in the Jews own history where a rule given by God had been broken King David had been out and about and he was extremely hungry he requested some of the showbread from the tabernacle uh, he requested the priest hand over some bread he said please you know I'm really really hungry can I have some of the showbread now the priest was in an awkward situation he had two principles given by God which could be applied to this to this uh, to this problem he had a duty to maintain the tabernacle practices as given by God he had another duty to show love to his fellow man one of these principles of God had to be broken on that occasion the priest decided quite rightly it turned out that helping a brother in need was more important at that moment than keeping to the minutiae of the rules about tabernacle service and then only last week we um, we saw another conflict with a young man who'd been exorcising demons you remember the disciples told him to stop his activities because he he didn't identify with them with with their group now one principle from scripture shows the church is not the place for lone wolves if you belong to God and you wish to work for God you should do it by being attached to a local church on the other hand scripture also tells us to be witnesses for jesus christ to work for him and jesus teaches the disciples to leave such people alone and instead encourage them and teach them how to do their work for god in, in a better way they'll attach themselves to a local church in time and i compared this uh, you may remember to an example in the old testament uh, another example in the Old Testament where someone had been prophesying in the spirit but not in the prescribed place on the one hand there was a rule they had to be not over here but over there when they prophesied and on the other hand it was a good thing to prophesy and Moses had these two competing principles should he should he tell them you're doing it in the, you're not doing it in the prescribed way stop now get over where you should be and then start again does he do that or does he is he just happy that they're prophesying well like jesus he reasoned it was better to be doing god's work in a slightly unconventional way than to not be doing god's work at all 
and so he he made he made the uh, right decision. He said, um, "Well, how, I wish." He said, "I wish everyone was. I wish, wish the whole population would be prophesying." <laughs> so let's see if we can let's see if we can draw this all together. So while we aim for the ideals given by God and encourage others to strive for those ideals, we also acknowledge that difficult pastoral situations exist. I'll be honest, I felt a little apprehensive about preparing this message. Divorce and remarriage are sensitive and hotly debated issues. They are issues that affect people we all know. And I wanted to be careful not to misinform people, of course. I wanted to choose my words carefully so as not to put advice out there that could cause people to make sinful decisions. I know I know what I believe and I think it to be scriptural, but it's a serious responsibility to describe what the Bible teaches with the emphases in, in the right places. I I came across I came across this quote by a commentator um uh, France, his name is, and it articulates my view very well. So I'm just going to use this. He says, "The practical application of this teaching in a society in which both adultery and divorce are common and legally permissible cannot be straightforward. But Mark's Jesus offers no direct guidance on the problem. Simply a clear." unequivocal and utterly uncompromising principle that marriage is permanent and divorce together with the resulting remarriage is wrong. Whatever the other considerations which pastoral concern may bring to bear, some of them no doubt values drawn from Jesus' teaching on other subjects. No approach can claim his support which does not take as its guiding principle the understanding of marriage set forth. Here. Like many other uh, people, I've found myself being asked for advice on marriage issues, and each person's situation is different from everyone else's. It is sad, but people make mistakes in their choice of spouse. They change within marriage, but not in a Godward direction. They they allow the examples they see in the world around them to influence how they uh, to influence their attitude to their own marriage they may become they may become uh, neglectful or abusive to their partner many other things can go wrong and the divorce figures i mentioned earlier apply to christian marriages as much as others i'm sad to say the church's duty is to is, is to uphold marriage. It, it should teach Jesus' high view of marriage. Candidates for marriage should be made fully aware of the massive responsibility they're about to take on. The church must also support um, couples during their marriage, primarily through the teaching of the of, of sound doctrine 
uh, and also private encouragements as well. But the, the church must also know how to handle marriage breakdowns with compassion. Our lives in general don't turn out the way we'd have liked. None of us reaches those high ideals that we know God lays out for us. And so if we show each other compassion in our general day-to-day failings, surely this must extend to failures in marriage too. Sometimes we have to pursue the lesser of two evils. Divorce could be one of them, but we must never think that it's pleasing to God. Some Bible students argue, well, there may be a case for divorce in a variety of, for a variety of reasons, but never remarriage. The divorced party should stay single. And here again, we'll be faced with situations that prove difficult to give counsel on. Let me give you another example. Imagine, imagine a woman has been through a divorce and she turns up one Sunday morning at New Road and you have a chat and learn about her background. She desperately wants to remarry and she gives two reasons. Firstly, she's desperately lonely. She needs someone to spend the rest of her life with. Secondly, she desires that intimacy that only a marriage can provide. So, like those biblical uh, characters I used in my examples earlier, you find yourself with two competing principles. On the one hand, you have the sacredness of marriage. Technically, uh, the lady would be breaking God's law if she remarried. And on the other hand, you recall the, the emphasis in the Bible about showing love and compassion to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You might also recall this clear statement in Scripture too. I say therefore, First uh, Corinthians seven. This is sorry, eight to ten. I, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, single. But if they cannot contain themselves, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with. You know, bearing with passion. Well, one way or another, you will have to compromise on these, on one of these two competing principles of God's. Every situation is different, but let me use the the same example and give you an idea how I I de- deal with it, with this lady. My first point to her would be to tell her about the superiority of being single compared to being married. Now, here's me all morning exalting the institution of marriage. Uh, In fact, in many churches, uh, being single is viewed negatively. Uh, But the scriptures tell us that for the believer, being single is a better option if they can handle it. Uh, also in First uh, Corinthians 7, it says this, verse 32. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is 
unmarried, careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married, careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. I'd ask this lady, are you certain that you can't remain single? I'd, I'd show her how she can be a more efficient servant of God without the distractions of marriage. And perhaps she go, goes away and spends a season uh, thinking these things over and, and praying a lot. Let's say a few weeks pass. She comes She comes back to me and she insists, sorry, I can't handle life without a partner. She persuades me that she appreciates the gravity of the marriage bond. She even acknowledges her shortcomings as a wife. She shows herself to be humble before God. I'd maybe then advise her to go back to God in prayer, uh, to beg of God that he would draw a line under her life so far, to ask his forgiveness. F forgiveness for for how she acted within her former marriage, even if her former husband was the one uh, most at fault for the for the breakdown. She should go and confess the importance of the marriage unit to, to, to God and ask that if it's his will, he will find her a godly husband and give her a, a, a clean conscience about the whole thing. Marriage is of God. It is important to him. People are to enter marriage with no thoughts of the possibility it might fail. When they promise God and all those other witnesses at their wedding that they'll persevere in their marriage through both all the good times and the bad, they must mean it. If someone thinks an exception to God's rules should be made in their case, they'd better be able to make that case to God with a good conscience uh, and always acknowledging just how serious their request is. They must acknowledge their understanding that this is, I know I'm asking for a big thing here, Lord. Marriage, it's... Uh, I've described it as, 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 a, as a great picture in the gallery of God. And you know what it represents. And But people, uh, people, people, even those people in the kingdom of God itself, frequently deface God's painting of marriage. And this is sinful. But for those who have truly repented of their sinfulness and they want to make a fresh start they know they can go to a God who is rich in compassion and mercy God give us all heavenly wisdom as we try to obey him and now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always and by all means 
The Lord be with you all. Amen.